You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah. Don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. All right, welcome yeah. to the podcast. I am Matt Minnick here for Bengals Chalk Talk. We're going to do things a little bit differently this week because it is a different week. Uh, it is the bye week. There is no opponent to look forward to. Uh, we would look back at last week's game. Uh, but big news uh, with the benching of longtime starting quarterback Andy Dalton, uh, we have got to talk quarterbacks. Uh, so we're going to spend the whole time today talking about quarterbacks in this draft and the guys that I believe uh, are worthy of consideration for the potential number one overall pick. Uh, once again, I am Matt Minnick. This is Bengals Chalk Talk here on Orange and Black Insider. Thank you for being with me today. Uh, you know, it's a it's a sad day, but it's an exciting day. Uh, obviously, uh, Dalton's been the quarterback for a long time, and yeah, he's a great guy, uh, and and the team has had some success with him. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear that a lot of things need to change in Cincinnati, uh, and not every problem the Bengals have had, are having, uh, comes down to AD, uh, but it's time to move on. Uh, so exciting uh, to get a look at Ryan Finley. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Today, we are going to focus on the NFL draft uh, and the three quarterbacks in particular that that I think should be under consideration for that top pick. So we will start in Alabama with Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, obviously, tank for Tua has been the slogan. Uh, so, Tua is a guy that people have, you know, considered for that overall spot for quite a while now. So, let's take a look at what he brings to the table and why. Uh, so, the first play I'm going to talk about came against Ole Miss. Uh, it was a first and 15 play uh, they had a penalty they were backed up on the uh, 33 yard line going in uh, they had two receivers um, and a tight end to the left and uh, one receiver split out to the right they've got uh, then the shotgun with uh, one running back to the right and they actually motion that second receiver or one of the receivers excuse me from the left hand side uh, sent him on a high motion and uh, into the backfield. So uh, on this play, we're going to get a play action pass. So Tua uh, executes the play action, and then he looks downfield. All right. Uh, executes the play action, actually kind of peeks over to the swing first, then looks downfield, throws a great ball to the post. All right. Excellent ball to the post for the touchdown. 
he's poised. He's in the pocket. You know, uh, you know everything about his technique looks fine. You know, not really any kind of pressure until until late here. Somebody starts to peek through, but that's not affecting him at all. Uh, you know, excellent throw from a clean pocket for Tua. All right, so the next play we'll look at came against Tennessee. Uh, it was first and 10. They were on their own 39-yard line. Uh, and this was an unbalanced formation uh, with two receivers and an Ill- ineligible tight end to the right. Uh, and there was actually a uh, wingback uh, over to the left. So he actually kind of motions over there from the unbalanced side, and they're in the pistol. So Tua takes his uh, back, you know, turns his back, to the defense on the play-action pass and uh, then flips his hips back around. So, you know, now his eyes are completely off the defense. That's one thing about the play-action pass. Eyes are off the defense. He's got to find things fast. He comes back and throws this ball way downfield. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, you know, they're, they're on the 39 that's completed around the 16, 17. So we're talking about like 45 yards downfield. Uh, and now it, it, it definitely, it definitely kind of dies. It definitely kind of hangs up there a little bit. Uh, so that's probably about the end of his range, uh, but a good ball downfield, you know, again, he has a clean pocket. Um, you know, he's, he's not rushed or anything uh, executes with, with good technique. Uh, but you see that he can, he can think quick that he's getting his eyes around quickly Uh, and throwing that ball downfield. All right, so the next play we will look at uh, came against South Carolina. It was second and 10. They were on the 24-yard line going in, uh, and they had an H-back and two receivers to the left, one receiver to the right, and the running back in shotgun uh, to the left uh, to that heavy heavy side. So um, this is another uh, play-action pass. Uh, this one ends up being, uh, kind of a half rollout, you know, like he starts to boot it around, uh, and then he looks back. So play action to the running back, start to boot around. Then he sets up and looks back to the running back in the other side. After the play action pass, the running back has run a wheel. Uh, so two is now coming across his body. All right. That's a difficult throw. He completes that thing right around the six yard line. Uh, so very good throw, you know, um, coming back, like I said, pretty, pretty difficult. Um, you know, he's not really completely set up, which is, uh, you know, makes it more of a upper body arm throw a little bit. Uh, but just because of the, the nature of the play, he's not able to really get set up. Uh, you know, it, he didn't exactly hit him in stride, uh, but it, but it's pretty good. And there's a guy coming over the top there. So you definitely wouldn't want to see him hanging it up too much. Uh, so overall, you know, uh, good ball, good placement, and, uh, you know, gets that thing down there to the receiver uh, and into the end zone. All right. Also in that Ole Miss game, uh, they had uh, a first and 10 on the 27-yard line going in. Uh, they're in a shotgun formation with a bunch to the right, the back to the left, and a single receiver split out to the left. And two is going to look to the single receiver side. Uh, they're on the sideline. That receiver's going to run a vertical route, and, you know, they've got him in pretty good position. Uh, the corner's in real good position, kind of hugging uh, along the sideline. Uh, 
and Tua throws a great ball uh, in a real tight window there. So, you know, good ball, tight window throw. You know, he threw it, he threw it up high where the receiver could go up and make a play on it. Uh, and, you know, the receiver is able to get it uh, in there and get the touchdown. So, uh, once again, really good placement, tough throw, tight window there on the sideline. And, and you know, that's a tight window throw, not just because of the coverage, but because of where the receiver's at on the field that there is that, that uh, you know, to use a cliche, extra defender there. So, really perfect placement. He can't put that ball anywhere else uh, if he's hoping to get a completion and a touchdown on it. All right, so against Southern Miss, uh, again, they were going in, uh, found themselves on the 17-yard line, and they came out in an unbalanced trips look. So it's trips, and they've got a tight end over, uh, so a three-man surface on that side with uh, the running back in a pistol look. Uh, And the number three receiver ran a wheel route. So... They've got a, you know, like a, like a stop route, a now route, and two is going to kind of bubble, uh, excuse me, that uh, <laughs> the stop route, the bubble, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he's going to kind of pump with that, and then he goes to that number three on the wheel. And really a good job here of just using the space he has. So now hang it up there. There's nobody else outside. You know, let the guy run to it, catch it in stride, and get in there for the touchdown. So, uh, again, Excellent play by Tua. Now he's got to show a little bit of touch, uh, pop it over, not like a high arcing, you know, crazy kind of running under, but, uh, you know, puts it where where he's leading the receiver. It's a real easy uh, pitch and catch for them. Uh, excellent throw by Tua for the touch. All right, so Tua runs quite a bit of RPOs uh, in the offense that he's in. Uh, and this is one example against Southern Miss again. Uh, so he's got an H back and a receiver to his left and stacked receivers to his right with the running back. Uh, he's in the shotgun with the running back, uh, also to his right. So we get the RPO action. Uh, you know, he makes a good read. They're all biting up on it. Uh, and then he makes a great tight window throw, uh, between two defenders for the touchdown. So, you know, good, uh, you know, good read initially, uh, good job getting the, the ball lacing it in there uh, between two defenders. Uh, now, definitely comes in a little bit lower than you want to see. Uh, so, you know, good placement uh, between the defenders. Not great placement because it is low. Uh, fortunately, you know, with where it's at on the field, it doesn't really matter much. He falls into the end zone. Uh, but, uh, you know, if that's in the middle of the field, you're taking away his ability to rack it up, uh, to run after the catch with that ball. Uh, if it's if it's coming in low like that, so good, not great placement there. Uh, after you know what was definitely a good read. All right. Uh, so then against South Carolina, uh, they had first and ten on the eleven yard line going in. Uh, you know, in the red zone here, they got a tight end and two receivers to the left, one receiver to the right, and the back uh, to the left hand side uh, with a quarterback in shotgun. And they take the number one receiver and they actually motion him. They do that that uh, high fly motion uh, into the backfield. Uh, but what they're going to run here is a is a star concept. Uh, and if you're not familiar, so a star concept is it's a common look out of bunch looks. Uh, and basically, one guy's going in, one guy's going out, one guy's going up, uh, and it's some variation of of a hitch or or an out or something along those lines. Uh, but you know they're, they're trying to kind of 
use the uh, the horizontal space there uh, coming out of the bunch. So this isn't truly a bunch, but you still got three receivers pretty tight, even after that receiver gets out of there. Uh, and that's the back, the tight end, and that remaining receiver. Uh, so they're still pretty tight. So the bunch uh, pass concepts can work from a look like this. So the back goes out, uh, and he's pretty tightly covered. The tight end goes in, uh, and he's pretty tightly covered. So that leaves the receiver who is who is running the hitch route. So uh, there's a defender right there. Uh, Tour recognizes that, and he sees the receiver's leverage. Okay, So the defender's to the outside. The receiver has an advantage to the inside. Tua throws the ball, putting it away from the defender. He puts it to the inside. Uh, so, number one, this protects the ball, protects the interception, uh, but also it allows that receiver to turn up field uh, to rack it up for a touchdown. Uh, so, ball is thrown, ball is completed in about the four-yard line, and because of where that ball is placed, he's able to run it in for a touchdown. All right, so we saw an RPO earlier, and that's what we're going to see here against Ole Miss. Uh, on the 26-yard line, it was second and 10. Uh, they've got a tight end to the right, two receivers, and an H-back to the left, and the back is in the pistol. So we get the play action, all right? We get the play action, we get the run action, uh, and then he throws a great ball. Again, good read. The linebacker steps up, opening it up, all right? Good placement away from that remaining defender to the inside. Uh, defender misses the tackle, and this turns into a big play. Again, we put it, uh, you put the ball in position to let him rack it, uh, and then it ends up turning into a big play because of a missed tackle by the defense. All right, so also in that Southern Miss game, uh, they came in uh, uh, to third and three on the 34-yard line. They had trips to the left and one receiver to the right uh, with the back in the shotgun to, to his right. Uh, so here, uh, like they got a good, they've got a good offensive line. Tua doesn't face a lot of pressure. Here he starts to get a little pressure, and he gets out of the pocket. Now, um, how much pressure did he really get? I mean, that's, that's kind of debatable. You know, could he have stood in there? You know, that's definitely something to consider uh, with him. But – he gets out, keeps his eyes downfield, uh, and he's able to deliver a great pass. You know, really throws a bullet there, uh, you know, to pick up that first down on third and three. So very good play there by Tua uh, getting it downfield. So uh, overall, uh, you know, uh, Tua is uh, is an excellent player. Uh, maybe maybe the safest uh, of the top quarterbacks. Uh, definitely has a lot of positive things going on for him. Um, he is not super dynamic. Um, you know, he's not he's not Patrick Mahomes, uh, but he can create. You know, does have the ability uh, to get out of the pocket, move around a little bit. Um, you know, to do things on the run, as you see right there. So uh, he's got good arm strength. Uh, you definitely see some deeper balls. Uh, will will. Uh, loft a little bit uh but you know overall uh good arm strength definitely good enough arm strength uh he has excellent accuracy uh, and you know generally his his placement is right on as well uh can make a lot of tight window throws you know I, I, that's one of the criticisms of him is all the talent around him and for as good as these receivers are he's definitely you know still 
making some tight window throws. So, uh, you know, he's got that going for him. Uh, there's less of that to evaluate than there might be with other players. Uh, but, you know, you can still look at it and see that he's, he's doing it. Um, he runs a lot of RPOs, uh, makes good reads on those, uh, which obviously it's a big part uh, of, of modern football. So good to know that he's, he's got that in him. Uh, you see um, uh, when, he, uh, when he throws interceptions, uh, he has uh, two interceptions on the year. Uh, one of them uh, came on a scramble where he, you know, definitely made a bad decision on that, on that scramble. Uh, so a little, a little bit of a concern there. The other was in cover two where the backside safety, uh, you know, really bit hard uh, and made a play on it. Uh, one thing that's of concern to me about that is that both of those plays, and this is the scramble here, uh, both of those plays came in the red zone. Uh, so both times those are picks that are taking points off the board. Uh, so maybe just, you know, I don't know, maybe he's too aggressive uh, at that point of the field or something. Uh, but, you know, that's just something that, you know, to be aware of that he needs to be smart about that stuff. Uh, and of course he's coming off of an ankle injury too. Um, now I'm not a doctor. I never profess to be a doctor. The, the things that I have seen about the type of surgery he got um, and, and the results of it, uh, look very promising. Uh, but you know, I'm in no way, uh, qualified to make those type of decisions. Uh, so, uh, definitely with the Bengals history with drafting injured players, uh, drafting a player who had a, an injury from Alabama recently, uh, I could see why people would be afraid of that. Uh, but I don't know, uh, if that's rational or not. Uh, you know, so, but it's something certainly to, uh, to look at and to consider. Um, but hopefully uh, he comes back and we get some answers and, and see some really good performances out of him uh, throughout the rest of the season. All right. So the other big name before the season started uh, was Justin Herbert. Uh, and he is a guy who they throw the word arm talent around and man, do I hate that word. Uh, and, and I, I tend to not like uh, the prospect when those words are used. Um, but, you know, definitely a guy that has a lot of tools, uh, you know, uh, excellent, you know, excellent build for the position, really high-end potential guy. Um, not as catchy of a phrase as Tank for Tua, but, you know, somebody that's that's up there for a lot of people on charts and, and certainly has a lot of potential. Um, and I liked him a little bit more than I thought I might as I, as I dove into his film. Uh, over the course of the season. So we'll look at uh, a couple of specific plays. Uh, first came against Cal. They had second and two uh, on the 19-yard line going in. Uh, and uh, Sorry, second and six uh, on the 19-yard uh, line going in. Uh, they were in a wide bunch to the left, so the receivers were bunched up but uh, not tied to the line of scrimmage uh, with a tight end to the right, and the back was also on the left. Uh, with their quarterback in the shotgun. We're going to see a lot of quarterback in the shotgun as we go through uh, all these quarterbacks. But um, now this is a bubble uh, which people don't, you know, what's so great about a bubble, uh, right? It's a pass, you know, it's a short pass. It's behind the line of scrimmage. What's so great about it? Well, this is a bubble to the field, which means a lot more in the NCAA where the, the hash marks are wider. 
Uh, and, you know, it does definitely show off his arm strength. Uh, so, you know, that's a pretty long throw. You know, he's, he's uh, throwing it on a rope, you know, zipping it in there. Uh, good accuracy on it. Uh, also interesting here, he pump fakes um, to that bubble. And I don't know what the situation is if he is afraid uh, of this unblocked edge rusher that's coming in, uh, jumping up and knocking it down. Because when he, when he uh, pump fakes, that guy takes off and backs away, and then that opens up the, the passing lane for him. So uh, that's just conjecture on my part that that might have been what he's doing. Uh, but if so, pretty, pretty smart little play. Uh, you know, Andy Dalton's had a lot of passes knocked down, so it's nice to see guys uh, that are thinking about that sort of thing. All right, so the next play we'll talk about uh, also came against Cal. Uh, and it was a third and eight on the 27-yard line going in. Uh, they had two receivers and an H-back to the left, a single receiver to the right, uh, and the back to the right in the shotgun. Uh, so Herbert shows great touch on this. Uh, so the receiver to the right uh, runs a fade into the end zone, and he does an excellent job of giving himself room. He takes the inside release and then gets back to the outside. And Herbert, you know, really floats a ball underneath him. You know, great touch on this ball. Uh, throws it basically right at the pylon. So because the receivers run a good route, he's given himself lots of space. Uh, and he is, not, you know, then passed and outside uh, of the defensive back. So he's the only one that can really make a play on this ball. So excellent ball, excellent placement and touch by Herbert. Uh, putting that thing on the pylon, the ball is dropped by the receiver, uh, which is a problem that Oregon has. Uh, and uh, but you know, good ball. Now looking specifically at Herbert uh, and what he's doing, this pass is all all upper body. Um, he's got some pressure coming at him, and he kind of leans back and away from the throw. Uh, so, I mean, he's not, he's not even close to stepping into this thing. He's, he's leaning back. He's, he's, you know, fearing the rush a little bit there. Uh, so, you know, very much, uh, showing off the arm talent. Uh, but it is a little bit concerning, you know, that he's not standing in there and, and delivering, uh, in the face of pressure and, and using good technique. All right, so against Colorado, uh, they had a second and one. Now, at this point, there was less than a minute left in the half. So it's not a, it's not our normal second and one. They are a bit more, uh, you know, a bit more rushed and, and definitely looking to throw the ball. It's not just taking a shot to take a shot. Uh, but he throws a seam route. Uh, they've got uh, trips receivers to the right, uh, single receiver to the left, and a back in the backfield next to him, the shotgun uh, on his left. So he's got a clean pocket uh, and really, you know, in a nice little tempo, he, he steps back, delivers a, a nice pass uh, to that number two receiver on the seam uh, and really hits him right in stride. It's a 37-yard pass, uh, you know, moving the chains, getting him a little bit uh, closer down there uh, and, you know, definitely a, a good ball on his part, throwing it in front of that receiver. All right, so earlier in that same drive, they ran the exact same play, uh, but it was flipped. Uh, so they had a single receiver to the right. Uh, they were on the, the right hash, so you know they, they ran the, the trips uh, to the left, to the field. 
uh, and the back was offset to the right to that single receiver side. Uh, and it's the exact same play, and he's going to the exact same guy. Uh, and what's concerning is here he's not open. Uh, so, you know, this seems like it's him really locking in on a player and where he initially thinks he's going to go, wants to go with the football, uh, and then trying to force it in there. But this receiver is bracketed. Uh, he's got a receiver underneath him. Or excuse me, he's got a defender underneath him and one, uh, you know, over the top to the inside. Uh, and then, you know, the ball comes underneath him too. So the ball comes a little bit behind him. Uh, you know, the defensive back is being disciplined and keeping his eyes uh, to the receiver because he does have a step on him. Uh, but if he turns around, he can make a play on this ball. And and he does uh, hit the ball. It goes up. The other re- defensive back, you know, kind of reacts but isn't able to get to it. Uh, but really, Herbert's lucky that thing wasn't picked off. Uh, that was a dangerous pass. Not a, not a good situation uh, at all there. So uh, it really looks like he was zeroed in on one player on that play. He was staring it down. That's why that extra, you know, that other defender was coming in and really had that thing bracketed by the time it got there. And then the ball was was behind him, you know, despite the fact that Herbert had a, you know, a decent footwork and, and a, you know, clean pocket there. Uh, not Not a good look on that play for Herbert. All right, so in the second half of that uh, that Colorado game, uh, they had driven down the field, found themselves uh, in a, a third and nine situation uh, on the 13-yard line. Uh, and they, they motion out, and they get into a trips look to the right with a single receiver to the left and back, uh, you know, the, the, the shotgun with the back to the left. So uh, it, is, uh, it is a good read here. Uh, Herbert sees the safety who extends wide uh, over really the number two receiver. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the buffs uh, are showing blitz and have a lot of guys lined up on the line of scrimmage and, obviously, you know, some of them pop out like teams like to do. But really, there's nobody over that number three receiver except that safety who's lined up way back in the goal line. And as soon as he starts getting wide, um, great read by Herbert. He's open. Uh, and, you know, whoever is on the line of scrimmage showing blitz is going to have to hustle to get back there. Uh, but they don't have time. So Herbert sees that. Boom. Sets up. Zips it in there uh, before the defender can get in there and make a play. So excellent job there. Uh, and also, he is dealing with uh, with the pressure here. Because, uh, you know, they, they, are, uh, they do have an unblocked defender coming. They do bring uh, an extra guy off the edge and Herbert stands in there. His technique is unaffected uh, and he delivers it knowing that, he, you know, he's going to have that, uh, that free defender coming. He's going to take a hit there. So uh, definitely a really good rep for Herbert there. You know, a couple of big things there. That's a third down and that's in the red zone, which are two areas where the Bengals have really struggled. And obviously two key situations that you need to win to win football games. So huge. Uh, for Herbert to be able to step up, make a play in a, in a, you know, make a good read and, you know, take the hit and make a play in a situation like that. So earlier in that same game, uh, back in the first quarter, they were in first and 10 on the 33 yard line going in. They came out uh, with uh, trips to the right uh, and a single receiver uh, split out to the left with the back actually to the right 
uh, as well with the with the trips receivers. So, uh, you know, they come out and there's a pump fake uh, to the stop route, and then he throws it to the receiver across the middle on that uh, that kind of bender, uh, not quite a slant. We'll call it a, we'll call it a bender, uh, where he's he's working inside and into the middle of the field. Uh, now, very good placement here. So this is between two defenders. Now, the receiver has to slow down a little bit and he kind of comes back to it. But I actually like that because if he puts it really in front of him, he's leading that receiver right into the safety. And that safety is going to be free to, you know, really tee off on him and deliver a hit and try and disconnect him from the football. Um and, you know, throwing it a little bit shallow of that, the receiver is still able to make the catch. Uh, and it slows him down enough that it throws off the angle of that safety and allows the receiver to rack the ball. So it's not even that safety that makes the play on this play. Uh, it, it's another defender who comes in and makes the tackle. So, uh, you know, definitely a good placement allows this receiver to be able to rack that ball uh, and move it up and gain additional yardage. All right, so in that same game uh, against Colorado, uh, also in the first quarter, uh, they had a a tight end and a receiver to the left, two receivers split out to the right, uh, back is offset to the left, uh, and they do a quick slant to number two on the right, to that number two receiver. Um, Now, this is a real quick pass. You know, he gets it off fast. He's getting a little bit of pressure. and he doesn't really step into it, right? It's all upper body, and it's off target. Uh, so comes in low. The receiver is able to make the catch, not able to rack it at all, not able to turn it into additional yardage. Uh, so, you know, definitely, uh, you know, got to think about that. You put that ball in front of him a little bit, give him the opportunity to, to be able to run with it a little bit. And, you know, just have it have it up high uh, where he can make a play and stay on his feet and keep on running. So against Auburn, Herbert showed that he has some ability to create. Uh, you know, he's a he's a pretty good athlete. He can move around a little bit uh, and, you know, he can he's a big guy, too. He's he's hard to tackle. He's hard to bring down. Uh, but they were in second and seven on the 20 yard line going in, uh, you know, so in the red zone. And they got pressure. Uh, so right away, you know, he, he pump fakes and he's getting pressure from the right-hand side, tries to scramble out to the left away from the quads. Uh, and then the, uh, you know, th- there's a good contain rusher on that side. So he, he realizes he's not going to be able to go anywhere with it. He turns and sets up and delivers a ball all the way across the field uh, for, for a touchdown. Uh, great ball, you know, d- not able to, uh, to step into it because he is he is getting hit here. Uh, you know, not quite leaning back like he was in, on the previous uh, play we talked about a little while ago, but um, but not stepping into it either. So all arm across the formation, across his body, uh, you know, ball balls released in the 32-yard line, and he throws it uh, across the field and, you know, halfway into the end zone. Uh, so – you definitely showing off that that he can make some plays when things break down and then he has a big time arm as well but uh that's not always the way things go for him 
you know, when he tries to create, uh, you know, things can get a little rough as well. And against Stanford, uh, he was getting pressure from the middle, uh, shook off the tackle because he's a big, strong dude, uh, scrambled out to the right. And then he delivered a ball down the field that was incomplete, but really he was lucky it wasn't picked. Uh, you know, it wasn't, a, wasn't an advisable throw. Uh, the, the receiver really became the defender in that situation. It was really more headed towards the defender. Uh, so could have been an interception. Lucky it wasn't an interception uh, on that play. Uh, overall, uh, Herbert has got a lot of potential, uh, and I like him more than I like a lot of guys who have been labeled with, you know, given that arm talent label. Uh, you know, he, he can do some things pretty well. Um, huge arm, uh, very inconsistent with his accuracy, though. Uh, the feet can get a little funky. He can throw kind of off-platform, which he doesn't do very well. Uh, you know, and, and that, that can get him into some uh, some sticky situations as far as that's concerned. Um, he has dealt with some poor receiver play uh, and, you know, not always the best protection. Uh, you know, sometimes can be a little bit chaotic. Um, you know, watching their offense just look like chaos uh, against Auburn uh, despite, you know, the, the way that they played in that game, the points they were able to score. Uh, it, you know, things looked a little bit helter-skelter uh, at times, um, you know, concerning that it seems like year in and year out, he hasn't necessarily improved uh, in, in the areas where you'd like to see him. Uh, and, and I've watched uh, really only casually watched his his film prior to his senior year and, and only uh, really dug into the senior film. Uh, but, you know, you do notice the same issues uh, coming up again and again. So I think he's an interesting prospect. Um, I think at this point uh, that top five pick uh, is likely. I could see him in contention uh, for the for the top pick, um, but definitely a lot of question marks, a lot of things you w- you want to work out, um, and some things you're going to want to be uh, more comfortable with before you uh, you're drafting uh, Justin Herbert and making him the future of your franchise. But big arm. Big dude, you know, uh, has some athletic ability, uh, can definitely, uh, you know, definitely has the potential to be uh, a really a star in this league. All right. So those were the two big names coming into the year. Uh, the guys who were considered potential first round, uh, well, first overall quarterbacks uh, and in the tanking conversation, uh, even though obviously people love alliteration. Uh, Herbert was a guy who was kind of talked about in the, in the same ilk. Uh, and suddenly a new contender has emerged. Uh, and it is Ohio native Joe Burrow, uh, Ohio state transfer, uh, second year at LSU. Now he's got a new offensive coordinator and all of a sudden, uh, he is going off and has, you know, quickly, uh, moved up boards and, and become a legitimate prospect, uh, candidate, uh, candidate for that uh, number one overall selection. So um, let's take a look at him. And first thing we'll look at is against Texas. Uh, there's a third and goal on the six yard line against Texas. Uh, they came out with trips to the left and one receiver to the right, although that receiver was lined up tight. Uh, so this is an excellent tight window pass uh, for Burrow. Uh, 
number three receiver splits the safeties, uh, and he zips it in there right in between them. Uh, so it's a clean pocket. He's got he's got the time he needs. Uh, you know, delivers a great pass in between those two receivers. I mean, they got there's two linebackers right there underneath too. Uh, there's all kinds of people around. Uh, so zips that thing in there. Uh, you know, and delivers an excellent pass for the touchdown. All right. So also in that game, uh, they're they're you know in the middle of the field uh, on the 42 yard line. Um, and, you know, middle of the field, uh, you know, I mean, not, not in the red zone. Uh, they're actually on the right hash. Uh, same formation uh, with trips to the left and that receiver lined up tight to the right. Um, and it's going to be a, a first and 10 play and a deep out by that, that singular receiver. Uh, so on this play, uh, you know, he's, the receiver's, you know, covered. Uh, they've got a, there's a man right there running with him. Uh, but he's to his inside, and Burrow does a great job, excellent placement right on the sideline where the receiver and only the receiver can make the catch. So no risk of it getting picked there, uh, but not too far out, you know, right there in that sweet spot on the sideline where the receiver can make that catch. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pitch and catch, uh, you know, good situation in the pocket, and Burrow is able to deliver and get that first down. All right, so this is kind of a similar situation um, you know, where it's about placement and understanding the field using the sideline. Uh, and it came against Vanderbilt. They had second and eight on the 16-yard line going in. So a goal line play here, two wide receivers and an H-back uh, to the left, along with the running back offset to the left in the shotgun, and one receiver to the right. Again, Burrow is going to go to that single receiver side, take advantage uh, of that matchup. Now, he shows great touch. Uh, on on this ball. Uh, so they're going to throw a fade ball up to that number one receiver. He looks it off to the other side first, and then, again, delivers just a great pass. Um, really gives that receiver the ability to run underneath it, you know, puts it in, in, in front of him uh, to the sideline, puts it away from the defender. Uh, the defender can't get at the ball there, uh, but lofts it up there and lets the receiver underneath, under, uh, excuse me, run underneath it. So an excellent job there by Burrow on that pass. All right, so another example of, uh, you know, great touch on a, uh, on a vertical route uh, came against Texas. It was a third and five situation. Uh, so a third down situation uh, in a tight game, uh, the third quarter of a tight game too. Uh, and they had Trips to the left and one wide receiver to the right with the, uh, the back to the right uh, offset uh, and burrow in the shotgun. So uh, excellent touch on the fade. Now, this time it's it's not about letting the receiver run under it. Uh, it's about that the bracket uh, that they've got. Uh, the receiver got past the corner, uh, but the safety's overlapping. So Burrow doesn't want to put this too far in front. And get it into you know potentially interception uh, territory there. So he puts it right in that side pocket, you know, right underneath the safety, uh, but over the top of the corner, finding that tight little window there. Um, so excellent job there. Now, uh, you know, footwork wise, he doesn't step into this pass. Um, so he doesn't step into this one. Uh, he is getting pressure from the front side and ends up getting hit from his blind side. Uh, you know, stands in there and, and, and delivers on it, uh, but 
you know, not not great footwork, not stepping into the throw on that. Now he can hit a vertical uh, in stride as well, and this is a uh, uh, an empty look against Florida. Uh, they have trips to the left and uh, twins, twin receivers offset to the right. Uh, so he hits the vertical uh, by the number one on the uh, on the twin side. Uh, to his right, really hits it in stride. Uh, empty here. You know, the the pocket is holding up pretty well, though, uh, and he's able to deliver that. Now, the ball doesn't go that, you know, too, too far. It's only really traveling. Uh, he's catching the ball about 22 yards downfield. Uh, but because Burrow puts it in front of him and, and leads him, puts him in a good spot, he is able uh, to turn that into a, a score for LSU. All right, so against Vanderbilt, uh, they were on the 25-yard line going in. They had first and 10, uh, and they they came out with uh, with two receivers and an H-back to the right, single receivers spread out to the left, and the back in the backfield offset to the single receiver side. Uh, again, going to work the single receiver side of the formation. Uh, and he throws, you know, an excellent back shoulder fade. Uh, you know, the, the receiver uh, – you know, adjusts, flips around, throwing it right at the pylon. Uh, you know, and, and you know the idea here to 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 catch the defensive back in front of you and be able to do that. So, uh, excellent throw for that back shoulder fade. My question is, is that really what he wanted to do? Um, you know, because we see sometimes his arm, his arm, you know, just kind of gives out on him a little bit. He doesn't ha- have quite as much juice as he wants. Uh, and in this situation. The, the defensive back, I mean, the receiver's in front of him. The defensive back's running underneath. So does he really want to put that ball there, or does he want it to go over the top, um, you know, will be the question. You know, what were you, what were you actually trying to do there? Um, you know, looks good for what it was, but what were you trying to do? Um, and he does step into this ball, you know, so it's, it's, it's good technique and everything. Uh, but, you know, what's, what's he trying uh, to do with that play? And – as we uh, look at a, another play from Texas uh, with uh, two receivers and H back to the left, uh, one receiver split out to the right and the tailback offset to the left. Uh, they ran a play action pass. And, you know, once again, he's going to that single receiver side. Now this is in the middle of the field and that thing dies on him. Uh, you know, so this is an example, but we see a good amount of this. I've seen it on a on a seam one, you know, before too, uh, but especially on these on these verticals to the outside, uh, where that ball can die on them sometimes. Uh, you know, he's got that that defender beat. He's in front of him, uh, but this ball, the receiver does that is, uh, but this ball is thrown behind. The receiver has to come back and make a leaping, you know, contested catch over the defensive back's shoulders. Excellent play by the receiver. Um, you know, the, the ball is around 35 yards downfield. And, you know, is that is that Burroughs range? You know, is, is that what what Burroughs going to be? Um, it, and it's, it's a bit of a question mark. How strong is that arm? Uh, you know, that could be a potential limitation and thing to watch out for with Joe Burrow. All right. One thing, if you follow me and you listen to me talk about quarterbacks, I love quarterbacks that can create. Um, and you know, that's a, 
we see these quarterbacks that can really do some special things athletically nowadays. Uh, but that goes back to, to Bill Walsh. And that was something Bill Walsh would always talk about when he was looking at a quarterback too. Um, and man, Burrow is, is that dude. Uh, Burrow, Burrow can definitely uh, get that sort of thing done. So uh, as we, we look at Burrow, here's a play against Texas. Uh, against Texas is third and 17. Uh, third and 17. So the odds are not in the offense's favor uh, in third and 17. And Texas is bringing a six-man pressure. Uh, the pocket quickly folds in on Burrow, but he steps up right into the pocket, finds a little bit of a space that, that he can work in, uh, actually pops up, like hops up in the air to throw this ball uh, and throws it like two first down depth. It's not like he's just throwing a little crosser or a check down or something. He throws it, uh, you know, past the 17 there, uh, past that 17 yard mark. Um, so excellent play creates hops up, you know, uses his arm able to get the ball to that receiver uh, and, you know, really a clutch play and it ends up being a touchdown as that receiver turns it into one. So incredible play. Uh, he is clutch. He can create. Uh, another example comes against Utah. Uh, in Utah, they were in third and three down on the goal line. They had a bunch to the left, a single receiver to the right, and a tailback offset to the right as well. And I talked about the star concept earlier, and this, that's what they're trying to do uh, with that bunch. But Burrow gets pressured, and he is forced out of the pocket, and he has to roll away from the bunch away from that star concept. So, you know, kudos to his receivers. They all adjust as well, start, you know, looking to get into his vision. And one of those receivers from that bunch side, uh, not his job, not his initial job, you know, executes his scramble rules, comes back across the formation, Burrow turns and throws across his body opposite the way that he is scrambling, uh, the, the way he is rolling, uh, and throws a, a great touchdown on that play. Uh, and we've seen some some similar plays out of Burrow in different uh, in different games. Uh, so you know, definitely not not a one time thing. Uh, again, just like before, it was a it was a clutch situation. It was third and seventeen. Uh, nobody expects you to win in third and seventeen. He's getting blitzed. Uh, pockets collapse on him. He steps up and makes a big time play. This is third and three on the goal line. Uh, so you got to score, you know, you got to get that touchdown. You don't want to be going for a field goal. Uh, so, so the pressure's on there too. Again, third downs, goal lines, places where the Bengals have issues and could use a playmaker who can step up in those situations. And Joe Burrow is getting it done. He is that dude. Um, so that's what I really like about this guy is the way that he can create when things aren't going great. Cause as we all know, things do not always go so great in Cincinnati. Uh, now, uh, this is a play probably just about everybody's seen cause, uh, it made all the highlight reels. It was all over Bengals Twitter, uh, when, when this happened against Mississippi state, but it is a great play and an awesome example um, you know, of the type of playmaker that Joe Burrow is, what he can do when he's scrambling and how he how he continues to look downfield uh, when he's getting pressured. So trips to the right, a single receiver to the left, and they actually motion the back out to the right-hand side. Uh, the pocket collapses. All right, the pocket caves in on Burrow. He steps up. So he's got an out. He's got a lane. And I'll tell you what, I mean, this is first and 10. 
He steps up into the pocket, and he can run here. He's got room. He's got that first down if he wants to take it with his feet, but he keeps his eyes downfield, and, uh, you know, it pays off big. He's got that, uh, that number two receiver running the post, and he finds him for a touchdown. Huge play, big-time play, and, you know, and this is – uh, exactly the type of thing you want to see out of your franchise quarterback, a guy that can step up and do those exciting things. So, you know, what is Burrow? You know, he's a guy who can create. He makes plays. He's exciting, dynamic. Uh, use any kind of adjective you want. Um, he keeps his eyes downfield when he's moving around in the pocket when he's getting pressured, tries to make those big-time plays. Uh, you know, he's a gritty, tough player, you know, can can take some hits, uh, you know, doesn't seem to, you know, be too concerned about, uh, about his body and the, the, the hits he takes. Uh, great placement on underneath passes. Uh, so can be a very efficient, move the ball down the field guy. Could be a really good fit uh, for what we believe <laughs> the Bengals want to be offensively, uh, although we haven't really seen much of it. Um, now, it, his arm strength is, is good, but it you know, could be his limiting factor. Because uh, it definitely seems like receivers are, are forced to come back to the ball sometimes. Uh, so that is a bit of a concern and a bit of a limiting factor. Uh, but he can, you know, he's such an exciting player and he can he can do some other things the way he's making plays uh, that, uh, you know, does he have enough uh, to look past that? Uh, whereas I, I think of the three, I would say his arm strength uh, is, is probably, you know, the lowest. Uh, of the three, and, and obviously there's a lot of film to watch, a lot of things to go back at, but uh, kind of judging by what I've seen so far, um, you know that's that's what uh, that's that's where I see it with Herbert being the strongest, uh, Tua being number two, and uh, Burrow, um, you know, being third in that group. Uh, but overall, so these are the guys that I think should be considered for the potential number one overall pick. You know, wherever they end up picking, uh, to be determined. Um, but, you know, looking at those guys so far, um, I think that, uh, that you, you can see, uh, you know, Burrow really stands out, you know, so he's my top guy because of what an exciting player he is and the way that he can create, you know, those are the things that I love about him that really stand out. Uh, I think he has big time potential to be that guy, uh, to be that, you know, that leader on the field too, because of of the, his style of play, the way he plays and the way he steps up. Uh, he can create the plays that this offense needs him to create. Uh, so that's definitely an exciting possibility uh, as we as we move forward and look at this draft class. Tua, I would rank second. I think Tua might be the safest pick of the group. I think he's going to be a good pro. Um, you know, And I, I find it hard to believe that he's not going to be a good pro. Uh, I think there are some question marks with Burrow's arm strength. Um and, you know, there's question marks with Herbert, uh, which we'll get into. But I think two is the safe pick. He does everything pretty well. You know, like everything is is at a, is at a good level. Uh, so I like the way uh, that Tua plays. And I think he's going to be a successful uh, quarterback in the NFL. Um, and then Herbert would be the third. And I don't know if I take Herbert at the top of the draft. He, he just his inconsistency. Uh, really scares me. He's definitely going to be a first-round pick, probably a top-ten pick. I just don't know if he's in contention, if I would put him in contention for that that top overall slot. So uh, those are my guys. That's my order. Um, you know, it's not unlikely that it will change. Uh, 
uh, I, I'm not going to write it in stone and ignore uh, what happens over the next few months because uh, there's lots of uh, game tape to eat up uh, before we get into the draft. But, uh, you know, Burrow, uh, you know, could really be a, a guy for this franchise. I definitely see some great things out of Tua as well. And, uh, and Herbert's got some positives, uh, but a long way to go and probably the riskiest pick. All right, so real quick, before we get into the interview with the Draft Network's Joe Marino talking quarterbacks in the 2020 NFL Draft, uh, I just wanted to say this interview was recorded prior to uh, to the announcement that Ryan Finley would be starting. So uh, there, there's a little bit of banter in there about, you know, whether or not the Bengals uh, were going to choose to move on, if it was time for them to move on. That is, to some extent, null and void at this point. Uh, so just something to consider while you're listening to it. Uh, at that time, uh, we did not know that uh, Dalton was no longer the starter in Cincinnati. Uh, but Enjoy uh, some some great uh, you know, great talk with Joe uh, regarding this quarterback class. All right, so we are on the bye week, and uh, obviously things not going well to start the year. Zero and eight. Andy Dalton's even most staunch supporters uh, jumping ship on the quarterback, and I think just about everybody is in agreement that it is time for a change. I uh, got the big change at the head coaching position last year, uh, but now time for the other change. So coming uh, here to join me today, I have got Joe Marino from the Draft Network. Joe, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot of Bengals and draft here as the months uh, unfold. Yeah, I mean, they Looking like the focus right now, you know, right now sitting in that number one spot, and if they if they hold on to it, they will definitely be the the talk for uh, months to come. I think at the beginning of the season, uh, two big names uh, were, were Justin Herbert, uh, and then of course the the tank for Tua slogan uh, was was prominent league wide, uh, especially as you started to see some of the moves that Miami was making. Um, now a new contender has emerged, uh, and the reason I asked you to be here, uh, is a tweet, uh, that you had recently, Joe Burrow plus Zach Taylor would be a nice future in Cincy. Uh, and I gotta tell you at 0 and 8, we are all hoping for a nice future. Uh, it, it, it seems a ways off, but, uh, can you, can you expand a little bit on, on that take and uh, why you think Burrow could be the guy and, and be a good fit for Zach Taylor? Well, I think the, the first thing we have to do is identify that the team has to move on from Andy Dalton. And I've, you know, I don't, I'm not a Bengals analyst per se, but I talk Bengals a lot like I do every team. And I've been a Andy Dalton, I wouldn't say apologist, but I guess supporter, <laughs> understanding who he is in the NFL, that he's a serviceable starting quarterback that I think has really achieved a lot as a starter in the NFL and maybe he hasn't always had the right pieces around him and maybe the coaching hasn't always been great, but I don't think there's any disappointment that should be had over reflecting on Andy Dalton's tenure with Cincinnati. But the reality is this is a player who is on the North side of 30 and his ceiling is it's over with he's plateaued. You've achieved everything you can with Andy Dalton. It's happened. And the reality is he's owed 16 point or excuse me, 17.7 million dollars 
next season, which can be cut with zero dead cap space. The time is now. It's here. You're enjoying the last few games of Andy Dalton's tenure in Cincinnati. So we have to talk about replacements and what's next. And I was an advocate of Cincinnati drafting a quarterback in the 2019 draft because I thought it was the right time to bring in your your next guy. Go ahead and get him with Zach Taylor from day one. Go ahead and get that marriage started and have a season of Andy Dalton to kind of bridge the gap there. And the reality is I think that's going to be something we'll have to talk about with Cincinnati is who is going to be the bridge guy to go with whoever this quarterback will be in you know in next year as a rookie if they're not ready to start right away and you certainly don't want to bring in a rookie quarterback without a, a, you know a, a mentor and, and another peer with him to really help him grow as an NFL player. It's a big deal. It's a big part of of quarterback um, development. And so you start thinking about the options and who's going to work well with Zach Taylor's system and those types of things. And the more I watch Joe Burrow play, the more I believe he's the guy that is the right fit for Cincinnati, even if they had the number one pick, even over to a Tagovailoa, who I, I like a lot. But I think fit-wise, Joe Burrow really, really meshes well with Zach Taylor. You think about, you know, if you, if you believe that Zach Taylor's goal is to run a lot of the stuff we see from Sean McVay and the Rams, and certainly that's what he was hired to do. A lot of uh, reading leverage and throwing to space and getting the ball out of his hands into the playmakers and a lot of play action, moving, all those types of things. You've seen Joe Burrow do that at a high level this year. I mean, he's completing basically 80% of his passes. He's aced every test, every single one of them. Texas, Florida, Mississippi State. He is he has not just looked good in those games. He's been the reason why LSU has won those games. And he's been sensational this year. And it's been, I mean, you can go back and look at 2018 and say, well, why wasn't he that good in 2018? Well, that's the value of coaching and system. Joe Brady coming over as the passing game coordinator for LSU has allowed us to see the real skill set of Joe Burrow and what his ceiling is and what he can actually do when given the right parameters around him to succeed. And I think about that system, it's not a lot of uh, routes, it's not a route-based system. It's a concept-based system where there's a lot of site adjustments and reading leverage and altering routes on the fly. Burrow's completing 80% of his passes in that system. It is a true measure of his football intelligence. People like to point to completion percentage as a measure for accuracy. It's not an accuracy metric. It's a pre-snap read and understanding why you make certain decisions with the football and Joe Burrow's acing the test. He's got big tests the rest of the way. Obviously, Alabama coming up in a couple of weeks. He'll have, you know, if he wins that one, the SEC championship game, the playoffs, all those types of things. So we need to see him continue to be tested in those ways. But right now, based on what we know and where he's come from, that that arrow is pointing up. He's an ascending player, and I love the way he would mesh with Zach Taylor and what he wants to do with the Bengals offense. Yeah, I mean, a few things you touched on there. Uh, I, I've been a I've been a Dalton supporter myself, um, but you know it's uh, and I'm I'm a married man. I've, I've been married for a few years now, but uh, it it feels like one of those relationships that was good, but just lasted way longer than it should have. Um, and I think Dalton has some good years left in him. Um, I don't think he has some good years left in Cincinnati, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a shame because he's kind of the perfect bridge quarterback. Uh, but he might be the perfect bridge quarterback in, in you know, in Miami or something. Uh, I just don't think it's gonna gonna work here 
anymore, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you touched on some things. I, I think uh, watching Burrow, I think he's great in the middle of the field, and I, and I do think that's where Taylor wants to go with the ball and, and with what you see with what the Bengals are doing um, and the type of, of receiver they have. Um, that's definitely, you know, a good mesh, a, a good fit there. Uh, you know, one thing, I question Burrow's arm strength. And, and the only the only situation where you really see that is uh, a, a lot of his deep balls, particularly his outside deep balls. If I feel like guys are having to stop and come back to, and, you know, and at first watch this film was like, oh, well, well they run a lot of comebacks. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're 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 throwing that back shoulder a lot. Uh, but you know, th- then there are situations where it's like, okay, he definitely need to lead that guy, uh, and and he didn't. Is that a concern for for you for a guy who's you know potentially the number one overall pick? Well, I mean, I think you'd like to see more arm strength from Burrow or whoever would be the number one overall pick. You're not going to get it from Tua. I'll say that it's not like Tua has a, a, an absolute you know rifle on his left arm. Um, and, and I think you know in terms of measuring it against Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton's not a great arm strength guy, and I think it's probably. You know, it's not it's not Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson in terms of throwing power, but it's probably at least Sam Darnold in terms of throwing power. And I think it's enough. I don't think there's anything he can't do. And when you think about arm strength, it's only an issue if it's an issue. And it's 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 at least average arm strength. And I think the football intelligence side of things will help him to uh, anticipate throws effectively and get the ball out in rhythm so that way he's not required to really gear up the fastball to hit some of those patterns where you know maybe you really need that arm strength so he checks the box he just doesn't necessarily get a plus yeah and and i think he can zip it in there when he when he needs to uh in the intermediate throws uh i mean really that's all i'm seeing it's just some of those uh some of those vertical routes and guys are, are coming back to. Fortunately, like like I said, I think he meshes well with the Bengals. E- even when they are trying to do routes like that, um, you know, we're looking at there's a there's a lot of uh, you know competitive uh, contested catch receivers on this Bengals roster. Not necessarily a lot of separators. So I mean, that could be a good fit because uh, you know I like uh, I like AJ Green and Auden Tate in jump ball situations. Um, now you, you touched on Tua. You know, he's a guy to me that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than a lot of guys uh, who do what I do, uh, who do what we do. Uh, but uh, I, I still remember uh, just a little bit, but I, I, I grew up, uh, in the, in, you know, the first, first quarterback I really followed was, was Boomer Esiason. You know, those were the good years with the Bengals. Um, and then um, I was a huge, even though I shouldn't have been a 49ers fan, uh, I was a huge Steve Young fan, so uh, you know the idea of of having a, a Southpaw quarterback for the Bengals is pretty exciting to me. Uh, what what are your thoughts on on Tua and you know how how he could be a fit if he ended up being the guy uh, for the Bengals in round one? I, I like Tua a ton. He's my quarterback one right now, and I, and I think if you know just kind of stripping away any context, which is probably a stupid thing to do, I, he's the quarterback I would choose for my team and my hypothetical offense and. You know, I think a lot of the reasons I just talked about why I'm excited about Joe Burrow, I think you get the same thing from Tua. Very accurate passer, gets the ball out quick. He makes uh, makes quick, fast decisions. And I think maybe sometimes people want to, you know, cast shade at him for that. But I think that just speaks to 
how smart he is and how quick of a processor is and how how much he understands reading defense quick pre-snap and knowing where to go with the football and getting it out of his hands. My favorite thing about Tua, though, is how calm he is when when things break down around him and just how he just is so comfortable when there's chaos and how he makes the easy stuff look easy. And, and a lot of times it's it's just knowing where those outlets are and being a true facilitator in the offense. And he's got great weapons at Ohio State. There's no question. Guess what? Burrow has good weapons at LSU. But besides the point, you know, he knows how to get the ball into those guys' hands very effectively. I think he's got accuracy to all levels. But what I guess where I get I get a little hung up on Tua, despite him being my QB one, you know, he's not the biggest guy, he doesn't have the biggest arm, and he's not that athletic. And you, you think to yourself, well, geez, I wish I wish some of that was true for, for the number one quarterback prospect in in the class, but he, he just really kind of isn't. But um I, I I really like his mental processing and I really like how how he how he masters the offense and just how calm he is when things break down around him. So that's that's kind of the good news, right? I, I think everyone's kind of talked a lot about Miami and their tank and them being in contention for the number one pick. And obviously the Bengals season's not going very well. They're very much contenders for the number one pick. I think it's okay if you get the second pick because you're going to get Tua or you're going to get Burrow. And either one, I think, is a good fit specifically for Cincinnati. And uh, on, on Tua, uh, so – in Cincinnati, we're a little bit sensitive right now about ankle injuries uh, since mm-hmm. we've been waiting for uh, one Adriel Jeremiah Green for about three months now. Um, uh, now, I know you're not a doctor. I'm assuming you're not a doctor. <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> where, uh, what, what concern do you have uh, about Tua's ankle? And I should say we're recording this early in the week and uh, still unknown if we're going to have a Burrow-Tua matchup this weekend. Uh, what, what concerns do you have about that ankle injury? Yeah, he's supposed to practice on Wednesday, which is, I mean, if that happens, you can you can put it in the books that he's going to play in, in, on the ninth. Um, you know, I, I think it's something to be mindful of, and like you like you 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 said, I'm not a doctor, but from what I understand about this procedure that he's had now on both ankles, is that it's supposed to really mitigate the possibility of more injuries. So it's kind of been an ankle issue. He's had this procedure. I've kind of seen some videos and stuff about what happens with it and it looks pretty good to me. It looks sturdy to me. And my understanding is that it is very good for uh, not having more issues in the future. And he's now had it to both ankles. So I don't know how many more ankle injuries he's going to have with this procedure. Again, I'm not a doctor, but um, it's not like he has a, a lot of different injuries or he re-injured the same ankle it's it's now been repaired the same way both feet or both legs however you want to phrase it and uh, I hope it's not something we have to to talk about anymore because he's a really talented player and I want to see him play yeah definitely uh you know definitely want to see see those guys out there and hopefully he's gets through the season number one but also a huge matchup uh not only from a a, an NCAA standpoint but uh, obviously from a draft standpoint as well uh, if we can see uh, LSU and Bama, so that that would be uh, that'd be great. Hopefully, we're getting them out there. So um, now uh, the other the other guy in the big three, uh, you would say, who's kind of been forgotten since the beginning of the season, since Burrow has emerged uh, from by a lot of people, uh, is uh, Herbert from Oregon. Uh, how do you feel about Herbert? Is is he a guy that that you think should be in contention for that number one spot and um, is he a guy that you think would be a, a fit in Cincinnati? You know, what's what's interesting is the stuff that we we talked about, maybe Tua and Burrow don't have 
in terms of physical gifts, you get it all in Herbert. He's big, strong, athletic quarterback with a rocket arm. I mean, just plus, plus, plus in terms of all those physical traits where, you know, I think you make some concessions with both Burrow and Tua where you don't get with Herbert is the football intelligence side. And, you know, what's interesting about Herbert is, is it feels like he's kind of come down you know, he, he started off three years ago as this player that we were kind of drooling over and his upside and how much, you know, playmaking ability he has because of his physical traits. You watch him last year, you keep watching him this year, and you just kind of realize it's the same mistakes now for, I don't know, 30-something starts. He, he He's a guy that if his first read's available and he can uh, hit it in rhythm with no pressure, he's going to look like a million bucks. He's going to make some fun plays outside of structure. But at the same time, he's going to invite chaos and he's going to miss reads and he's going to really become flustered once that first read's not available and he has to move on it. And sometimes he hangs on to it for too long and doesn't come off and he doesn't necessarily know to go where, know where to go with his eyes. And the comfort under chaos stuff I talked about with Tua, not a chance with Herbert. So right, you just have a lot of give and take so, with, with Herbert in areas that are more critical that you don't feel concerned about with Burrow or Tua. And so, um, you know, if you want the the toolsy guy that you feel like is uh, is a piece of clay that you can mold, go get Herbert. But you know, I, I I like I like the floor and the ceiling better. I think with Burrow and Tua, just based on what we know. And Herbert, you know, he's almost like penalized for having the most game tape, right? Because we've seen so much of him, and we know it, when those problems don't diminish, then you you, you kind of just continue to to bask in him, and rightfully so because he's not. Correcting issues. He's still a good quarterback. He's a first-round quarterback prospect. But when you have alternatives that you don't have to deal with some of those flaws, I think you gravitate towards those other guys, and that's how I'm treating this situation. Yeah, I mean that that, that makes sense. I think uh, yeah, when you've seen a lot of a guy, you kind of know who he is, and, and especially with Burrow and uh, the big step up that we've seen from him this year uh, with a new coordinator. Um, it does really seem like we're just scratching the surface on on what he can do, um, and you know, two is a two is a pretty young guy too. He's we, we've seen uh, you know some good ball out of him for a couple of years, uh, but but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, when you when you have a finished product, uh, you'd like to see it a little bit uh, a little bit more clean cut uh, than what you're getting in Herbert. Um, so I think those are the three guys that are really getting or have at some point at least gotten some some number one overall buzz. Um, the I'd say the pool, uh, the other guys that get a little bit of chatter and, and have a chance of being a round one, round two guy uh, will be Eason, Fromm, uh, Love, Hertz. Um, you know, are, are, are those are any of those guys people that you think uh, could surprise and you know, be a you know be a guy who ends up uh, in the NFL being the one of the top dogs in this class, or uh, anybody outside of those top three really stand out to you? Well, I think at least one or two of the guys you just mentioned will probably be probably be first round picks. Um, they got their own share of weaknesses and issues, but um, you know, you look at Jordan Love. I mean, supremely physically gifted, very str- much struggles with the mental side of game of the game, but. You know, he's got great traits. You look at Jacob Eason, he's got elite throwing ability, um, and he's really kind of emerging for Washington. Look at Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm doesn't have physical gifts at all that you'd like. I mean, worse than what we talked about with Burrow and Tua, much worse. 
But I think in terms of what a lot of old school general managers and scouts look for in a quarterback in terms of uh, game experience and um, and leadership and some tangible type stuff, I think Jake Fromm's going to really appeal to those types of people. I mean, if, if Daniel Jones is a top 10 pick, then don't <laughs> tell me Jake Fromm can't be right. I mean, I mean, honestly, yeah. you kind of you kind of think like that. And, and Jalen Hurts has really emerged for Oklahoma, gives you big time uh, leadership components, great physical ability, has really improved as a passer this year. And, you know, we've seen we've seen lesser talents go in the first round at quarterback. I mean, think about guys like Christian Ponder and uh, and, and Blaine Gabbert and EJ Manuels of the world. So, right, the NFL mm-hmm. will take those guys. And there's, there's a lot of quarterback needy teams, some thirsty teams out there. And so, you know, there's a strong case that we could see four, five, six first-round quarterbacks, certainly four, five, six in the top 50, um, and they're all going to get chances. And, and you know, we always kind of point to guys like Andy Dalton as that, you know, that high second-round pick that can be a starter for you and the Kirk Cousins type player. So it's it's going to be there. These guys are all going to get drafted, and they're going to get realistic shots at, at being someone's starter, even if it's a Drew Locke type situation. Um, so you've identified a lot of the names that I think teams will look to as starters and kind of sorting out the rest of the way here is the valuation and how high they should go and who fits where but that's the cast of characters we're going to talk about from you know for the next several months as the as the premier guys in this class yeah it's an interesting group and i, I think uh you know guys like Eason and from uh in particular those are guys that like you can definitely win a lot of games with them uh but i just they're just not doing anything crazy on film that makes me think, well, that's a, that's a guy I'm taking in the top five and the top 10. Um, but I, I mean, I definitely, uh, in particular Easton, um, you know, I, I think Easton's a guy that's going to go in the first round. I can definitely see uh, love going first round, uh, I, you know, watching love. It remind it, it feels a little bit like high school film. Uh, and, and I mean that in a positive way. It's just like, he just looks like he's better than everybody else. And, he doesn't, you know, nothing's really refined, but he's just like, I don't know, well, I'm better than you guys, so <laughs> like I'm going to do whatever <laughs> I want here. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, it hurts as well. Uh, I think Hurts is, um, and, and, and the Bengals fans listening will get this, but, you know, I, I like it drives me crazy. Uh, you know, the couple weeks ago we saw the Bengals throw a toss play on third and one, and, it, like, sometimes it's like they, ref- they refuse to – run a quarterback sneak in really, really obvious situations where they're going to get the first down. Uh, and, you know, if the Bengals drafted Hurts and then had a guy who's who's that physical of a runner and then still refused to run quarterback sneaks, yeah. I mean, that would just be perfect. That would, <laughs> that would just figure. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talent out there and definitely some interesting guys. So, um, now, we, we touched on it uh, a few times here, but, um, you know, Miami uh, – Really appears to be in full tank mode. Uh, I don't even know if it's intentional with the Bengals, but they just can't prevent, you know, they just can't win a game. Um, and I don't even, you know, I, I don't know because th- there's some bad teams. Uh, and I think the, you know, the Dolphins are going to have to lose to the Bengals and to the Jets twice. Uh, you know, the Bengals are, that AFC North isn't very good. Uh, you know, the Steelers and the Browns are squeaking some things out, but. Those aren't really good football teams. Um, so the idea of tanking, uh, you know, it's kind of it's funny because if you're trying, only one team can win the Super Bowl, but if you try and win the Super Bowl and you come up short, you still have a really good football team at the end and, and you can give it another try. 
if you try to tank and you don't get the guy you want at quarterback yeah. because you yeah. won one one or two games in the season, um, you know, it, it, it ain't pretty uh, what you're coming away with and where you're at. So uh, on on your show, Draft Dudes, uh, you do a takes on takes segment. Uh, so I'm, what I'm asking for here is your, your take on tanks, uh, you know, who do you think comes out winning on this? And, you know, what's your, what's your thought process on tanking in general? Uh, you know, the long-term effects of it. I guess uh, you kind of look at the teams that maybe have done that. I mean, certainly we can say Miami has, and we always have to be mindful that there's a, there's, there's two things happening. You have coaches and players that are trying to win football games. They're competing their asses off trying to win games. You have a front office that is not giving them the resources to do that. Right, So nobody should be watching Miami Dolphins football games right now and think that team isn't trying to win. They are. It's the, it's the lack of talent, quite honestly, that plays into it. In Miami specifically, in order for them to have all these millions of draft picks, they've created holes. They're going to go out and look to get an offensive tackle just like Laramie Tunsil and a defensive back just like Minka Fitzpatrick. And you know the real, the real value is when they start getting plus value. They got multiple first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil. There's a net gain there, and they're really counting on themselves to be able to hit on draft picks. And, and if they don't, which they're pretty much a 50-50 proposition, particularly first round, less and less as you go down the, the order, they're going to be in trouble. And it, it's a big gamble on you and your scouting department and all those types of things. They're going to have a big challenge ahead of them to get enough meaningful veterans in the mix to not just have a bunch of 22, 23, 24-year-olds that have very minimal experience under their belts to try to, to win. So there's a, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done there. And, and some of it's self-created by the players they've traded away and the holes that they have created in, in the process. But, you know, I, I think it's also tough to kind of look at a team that just perpetually tries to put on Band-Aids and um, get by. And, you know, if we get this player, maybe we can get, 10 or 11 wins and get to the wild card round and maybe win a game. Like, like you, if that, that's, it's hard. Like it, I understand contentness with that, but the goal is to win the Super Bowl. And what do you have to do? What steps can you take to give yourself the best chance to do that and compete for that every single year? And um, I guess I have this part of me that really respects teams that recognize this course that we're on is going to find us in this seven, eight, nine, ten win range every year. Maybe we can backdoor into the playoffs and lose a game. And, and so I respect it from that perspective. It's difficult on the fans because, I mean, quite honestly, you only get so many years of your life to watch football and enjoy it and be a fan of your team. And and you, you it's hard to sacrifice some of those years to just kind of weather and get by and watch your team not be able to compete. So there's so many variables in play. There's so much context that matters. I guess at the end of the day, I, I respect teams doing what they feel is the right thing to do to try to build a, a, a winner, and um, we'll see if this works. We've not seen anything this drastic in terms of what Miami is doing. You know, even Cincinnati. Cincinnati's not just you know trading away all their reasonably good players for draft picks. So um, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's going to come down to who can hit on the quarterback. They're not all going to be good, right? That's one thing mm-hmm. we know. Is I think quarterback hit rates in the four, in the first round is probably. 40% on a reasonable starter and even even less for a, like a, an upper echelon guy. So uh, there's some luck involved uh, as well and and you know I don't want to see t- teams stay bad forever. That's not good for any for anyone. And um it's fascinating. I'll say that from a from an outside looking in 
at a lot of these situations across the league. It's pretty fascinating to uh, to observe. So I don't know. I don't know if I gave you a tank a take a take <laughs> on tanks other than they're interesting and um, there's a lot of variables in play and we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and you know I think uh, it's interesting too because it's not it's not basketball um, and. One player at quarterback absolutely does make a big difference, um, but I, I think basketball is a it's a lot clearer what that yeah. transition is from the from the uh, college game. And you know when you're getting that number one guy overall in basketball, you you know what you're getting, um, you know, and that's that's going to be a game changer. Um, you know, looking back, clear cut number one overall uh, quarterbacks, I you know you'd say Andrew Luck. Um, I mean, before that, are we going all the way back to Carson Palmer? Um, you know, I mean, maybe you could definitely make an argument for, for Cam Newton. Um, but back then Cam Newton was a bit of a wild card, uh, cause the NFL wasn't, wasn't really ready for a quarterback, uh, with his type of gifts. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's the thing, you know, you gotta, you gotta hit on these picks and, you know, the Dolphins could get a bunch, uh, you gotta hit on them. It, it does bug me to see teams like the Dolphins, like, why are you giving away young players who can absolutely be part of what you're building? Um, but as we said, there's a lot of bad teams in the NFL, and it's, and it's a weird league. Uh, and if they accidentally win a game, they've, you know, got the, they've got the tools to, to uh, uh, excuse me, the equity actually to move up, uh, particularly if, you know, if, if the Falcons end up with a number one overall pick, and uh, you know the, they can they can trade up, they can get that pick, and the Falcons are you know picking up some picks and probably still getting Chase Young or whoever else they want, uh, assuming they're not going quarterback. So, it, you know, I, I, I see it, but I kind of hate it too because I, I also think that I don't know how you lose this many games, and even if the even though the coaches aren't doing it it's still a losing culture. Uh, so I don't know how an Owen 16 Bengals team or an Owen 16 Dolphins team is going into the next year with Zach Taylor or Brian Flores and, and, and think they're, they're going to win games because that type of cultural change. I don't know if a quarterback alone can do that. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe you need a new voice at the top. It's it's interesting to say that. I mean, I, I've I've long subscribed to the idea that you don't get better by losing, right? I mean, that's that's certainly one angle to put on it. Um, and you you made a good point there about there's a lot of bad teams in the NFL. I mean, between the Bengals, Dolphins, Redskins, Atlanta, and the Jets, we've got five teams with zero or one win. And Miami and Cincinnati play each other, right? And Miami and the Jets will play each other. So, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have a, a team. I mean, honestly, a team with two or three wins maybe that's picking five and that's not normal, right? Like if you have three wins, you're picking in the top three and, and you know, it's, you have teams that I just mentioned there that aren't in the market for quarterbacks. And that certainly makes things interesting when it comes to, well, what happens if, like you mentioned there, if Atlanta has the number two pick overall or the number one pick overall, I mean, they have a good quarterback in Matt Ryan. Are they going to sit there and pick Chase Young? Are they going to force Miami to to cough up a little something to move up? And and so, it's it's fascinating. It'll all sort itself out here over the next, uh, you know, I guess what eight nine weeks. But um, um, there's going to be some teams that are going to be perpetually at the top here if they if they don't hit on these these draft picks, which is a it's a gamble. 
Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, but you know, that's what that's what makes the NFL worth paying attention to. Twelve months out of the year, I guess. You know, all, all this stuff moving forward, and um, you know, it, it is the Bengals. Uh, I'm I'm I kind of subscribe to the theory that I'm I'm all Bengals. I'm all NFL. Uh, you know, I watch college football for fun, but I'm you know I'm just watching NFL tape uh, with basically every free moment that I have. Uh, in in season, and I usually wait until bull season, and then I I, I dive into uh, to to prospect film. Um, is kind, of, kind of the way I work. I like just eating every bit of tape that I can on somebody all in, all in one sitting, uh, not kind of coming back to it. But this year has forced me. It's like, well, I got to start looking at quarterbacks now because yeah. uh, you know <laughs> that's that, that's the future. So um, now uh, I mentioned. Uh, you know, a couple places that people can find your work, uh, Draft Network, uh, doing some awesome things over there. Of course, the uh, uh, the Draft Simulator uh, will be already very popular, but will be very <laughs> popular again, uh, you know, as the draft order shakes out. Um, on the Draft Network, uh, you recently came out with some some great uh, T-shirts, um, uh, Tank, Tank for Tua and uh, Broadway, Broadway Joe. Uh Wish it was. Uh, wish they came in orange and black, but uh, <laughs> definitely some cool stuff there. Uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to plug? No, I, I appreciate you having me on. It was a good discussion. Um, yeah, I work for the Draft Network and host a daily NFL Draft podcast called Draft Dude. So if you're looking for uh, some draft discussion all year long, we we certainly feel that need over on Draft Dudes. All right. Well, thank you once again for being with me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just getting started here. It's definitely going to be a very interesting draft season uh, with, with a number of, like you said, bad teams. Um, in, a, in a weird way, we're going to have some very meaningful games uh, in December. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Bengals have the, Dol- the Dolphins uh, near the end of the season and what could be the, the Tua Bowl, uh, if that's where they're both leaning and, uh, you know, with, with all these bad teams in the same division, too, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things shake out. So, once again, thanks for joining me. If you are listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure you check out the YouTube video. Crazy week, uh, sad week, but also exciting week. And, uh, you know, it's time to start looking forward. The Bengals have made that decision. Um, and we definitely need to start looking forward and hoping to build something great. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, we're coming forward with ours. Yeah, we're coming forward with ours. Yeah, we're coming forward with ours. You hear the crowd, we're coming forward with ours. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.